Hello there, this is Benny. And this is Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The future second longest running podcast of all time about every episode of Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, um, good to have ambitions. <laughs> what's, the, uh, what's the actual longest running podcast? Um, I figure it's going to be a podcast called Till Death Do Us Blart. Uh, okay. Have you heard about that? Um, is it about Paul Blart Malkop? Um, yeah, every year on American Thanksgiving, the hosts release an episode of their podcast where they watch Paul Blart Malkop 2 and discuss it. <laughs> Specifically the sequel, huh? Okay. Uh, and they've all, I guess they've all like designated an heir they've like pledged that their podcast will go till the end of time and they've designated heirs to replace them and whatever so <laughs> they started uh, before we did so they're going to be the longest running podcast of all that's time true that's true we'll and we haven't designated any heirs so <laughs> all right cool well how's it going kyle um it's going all right our house is still in chaos and mess with no kitchen (laughs) but you do have an oven we do have yeah it's not hooked up yet but we do we do have one yes um yeah i think i told you last time about our countertops that got sold to Uh somebody else (laughs) yeah you did eventually spill the beans on that after uh (laughs) keeping it under your hat for a bit Save it for the pod. <laughs> We're still waiting for those, so hopefully they should be coming in sometime in the next week, and okay. hopefully the whole project will be done in a week or so after that. But okay, yeah, yeah. Well, the end might be in sight. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, looking at the calendar the other day, and we are, as of Monday, will be starting on week eight of having no kitchen which was expected to be like a five-week project basically oh my gosh okay wow (laughs) and it would have been five weeks if they had our countertops you guys are gonna make so many grilled cheeses when this is over (laughs) (laughs) i'm looking forward to it excellent you know what else i'm looking forward to though is what else are you looking forward to kyle Cooking breakfast of bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. Yes, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> and does it does it come in a little thing where when you take the first bite it tastes like bacon and the second bite tastes like eggs? <laughs> yep, I've got the the little biscuits. Um, for yeah, biscuits. Yeah, for some reason they don't work in the microwave, <laughs> so I have to wait until I can use the oven again. <laughs> All right, should we uh, launch into the episode? Yeah, I was going to say the other thing I'm looking forward to is talking about episode 29. Excellent. The final phase. The final phase, which may or may not be the final episode of the serial, but I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's the odds on fave to be the final phase. (laughs) (laughs) Do you recall what our Cliff Dingler was? 
So after editing the previous two episodes, I, I came to the conclusion that our cliff dangler this time, it's pretty much the cliff dangler from last time, which is <laughs> that the doctor is going to be turned into a museum exhibit. Um, except for now, we've had not a shot of the doctor because uh, William Hartnell was on vacation, but we have had a reaction shot of Ian going, no, when he saw presumably what uh, is being done to the doctor. Yeah, I guess the the previous Cliff Dangler was so good that they decided to just carry it on over to the next episode. <laughs> they just kept dangling. The doctor's been dangling for a while. Uh-huh. I I hope he enjoys like that sort of adventure holiday. Yes. Climbing up cliff face, faces and dangling off of them and <laughs> probably yes. some skydiving and Cliff Dangler holiday, yes. Uh-huh. So we pick up right from the cliff dangler. We, As usual. Right. We see <laughs> Ian's reaction shot, and then they actually show us the doctor's body. William Hartnell is back from vacation. He's basically leaning up against like a bodyboard, essentially, and his eyes are closed. He seems to be unconscious, and he is connected with a bunch of tubes to a dome in the middle of the room. It's like a dome on a table with all these lights and buttons and stuff. Oh, cool. You know, you know, I'm a fan of these weird technologies and uh, connected by tubes to a weird dome full of lights and buttons. Mm, that's the good stuff right there. Yeah, it was pretty great. Also, the doctor being like, you know, still and, and tied to a, a board is like, if they would have had the budget for a really good mannequin, I think William Hartnell could have taken this episode off too. <laughs> <laughs> Ian asks what they've done to the doctor, and Lobos says that he doesn't think that Ian would appreciate the technical difficulties. <laughs> yeah, no, no one really understands the true artistry involved in turning people into into museum exhibits. Right. He does say that they have completed the second stage of preparation. He's as good as dead. Dang. <laughs> well, pack it in, guys. We had a good uh -huh. run. <laughs> Guess that's it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it turns out we're not the second longest running podcast of all time. This is the final episode. Yeah, we gave it a, we gave it a shot. I, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like this whole Doctor Who concept might've had some legs. We might've gotten another season or two out of it, but okay. <laughs> uh -huh. Wonder what's next. So Ian has a ray gun point to Lobos and the guard. There's, you know, a garden that, a guard that Ian brought in with him mm -hmm. and half of the guardianship. Right. He tells Lobos that if Lobos cares about his own life, he'd better bring the doctor back. Oh, dang. That's Yeah, I think we've commented before on how like uh action movie bloodthirsty Ian is in this serial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lobos is really not sure that this can be done. He actually says that it's impossible. No one has ever attempted to reverse the process. And well, then you don't know if it's impossible if no one's even attempted it. If they yeah, attempted that's... it a lot and failed a bunch, then <laughs> I'd believe it. But as uh -huh. it is, I think it's worth a shot. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. And yeah, Ian, Ian basically agrees with us. He's just like, yeah, well, I guess it's time to fucking try then. Yes. So Lobos goes up to the dome with the lights and buttons and stuff 
and starts flipping some switches. Nice. And Ian wonders how long it's going to take. And Lobos is like, how the fuck should I know? I told you we've never done it before. <laughs> uh, fair point. Uh-huh. We cut to the Steve Jobses who are at the Morak Armory handing out guns. Cool. Remember, Vicky had basically helped them break into the armory. Mm-hmm. And Vicky tells the main Steve Jobs, or I guess the, the the main Steve Jobs of this scene. I'm not sure there's one who's specifically in charge. But she tells him that she's going to go back to the museum instead of joining the attack on the Morak barracks. Okay. He's a little bit upset by this because he was hoping to get everyone that he could to help with the attack. And he's worried that if she gets captured, then the Moroks will, you know, clean out her inventory. They'll see her gun and realize it's a Morok gun. So they'll go and check their armory and then they'll know that, that something's up, basically. Huh. That's, that's surprisingly like, uh, you know, thinking ahead there. I, I, I kind, of, kind of appreciate that. Yeah. She, of course, is not going to give up on going to get her friends. So mm-hmm. she just gives him her gun and uh, says that she's okay. going to go anyway. Well, you know, guns don't solve problems, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, so, cool. It's a uh-huh. good message for the kids. Is that the the liberal version of that bumper sticker? Guns don't solve problems. People do. <laughs> people do little asterisk by talking it through. <laughs> if I am captured, I just have to hope that you're successful and you find me in time. I know it sounds silly, but whatever I do may be wrong. I I've got to find them. I I kind of wish she just said. I won't get captured, you know, <laughs> rather than, uh-huh. well, I'll probably, you know, there's a, there's a good chance I'll get captured, but you can always come rescue me. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Jobs decides to send a Steve Jobs with her, telling this other Steve Jobs to do what she says, and he gives Vicky her gun back. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know... We 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 did just say like a minute ago, guns don't solve problems. But maybe maybe having it on hand will uh, at least deter the the Morocks from <laughs> starting stuff. Yeah, hopefully. We get a brief scene of a few Morocks back at the museum. They're outside the TARDIS, and they've brought this big battery that's attached to you know, a hose that leads to a cutting device. It's like a plasma cutter or something. Very cool. Very cool. I'm into it. Uh Uh-huh. They start flaring it up, but before they can actually get started cutting into the TARDIS, they are interrupted by the museum commander who tells them to shut it off and asks them about the missing guard. And... They say that there was no one here guarding the TARDIS when they arrived. Hmm. So mm-hmm. he assigns one of them to TARDIS guard duty, basically, and brings the other two with him. I'll get to the bottom of this. All right, we got, we got ourselves a take charge kind of guy here. Inside the museum, which is, of course, filled with Zafra gas, 
Barbara, who had fallen to the ground in the previous episode and seemed to succumb to the gas, gets up and gets to her feet. <laughs> uh, well, that's another <laughs> Cliff Dangler-ish problem um, resolved pretty easily. Yep. She is coughing the whole time. Okay, okay. Well, good to have some <laughs> continuity, I guess. Uh-huh. But... She gets up and she goes over to the Steve Jobs that was accompanying her and helps him to his feet. And he holds a handkerchief over his mouth while she helps him down the hallway. That, that should do it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you know, just uh, a piece of cloth kind of held with your hand over your face. Yep. Uh, Certainly I mean, will that, be effective. Basically a gas mask, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the the seal between your hand holding the the handkerchief to your face and your face is going to be great. Like, yeah, nothing's going to get through that. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting a call. Oh, you know that uh, CDC uh, partnership that we've been negotiating? <laughs> I'm, I'm afraid it's fallen through. <laughs> Back in the preparation room... Lobos informs Ian that the doctor's body temperature has almost returned to normal. <laughs> nice. I, I like how easy this was. It's like, it's too late. It's too late for your doctor. He's already in a second phase. And Ian's like, no, nah, I think you tried anyway. And then Lobos is like, yeah, I guess I guess I could just do that. <laughs> uh, Ian still wants Lobos to speed it up, but there's not a whole lot Lobos can do about that. Yeah, if you if you microwave the, these people too quickly, then like the outside gets <laughs> hot, but the inside's still like frozen. Right. That's, that's you wanna you wanna use like the the settings on the microwave to like turn the power level down. Yeah, yeah. There's you know popcorn. There's the doctor. <laughs> uh huh. Potato. <laughs> if you push the d the defrost button enough times, then it'll get like the defrost a, a person setting. <laughs> yes, exactly. After a temperature of several hundred degrees below freezing, it is a complicated process. You will have to be patient. Wow. How, uh, how low was that temperature? <laughs> I guess it seems like he should be frozen solid, like, uh, uh -huh. you know, like they dipped him in liquid nitrogen or something. <laughs> yeah. Or like, pumped liquid nitrogen through his veins or something. Oh, dang. That's that's hardcore. But sure enough, his body does achieve normal body temperature. And a few moments after that, like he opens his eyes and wakes up and he is in pain and he's barely able to stand or walk. Oh, support me, dear boy. Support me over there. Sit me down. Oh, poor doctor. Yeah, he says that he'll be fine in a few minutes, but he's having a bad attack of rheumatism, which always happens when he gets cold. <laughs> uh, he just got pretty cold. Uh-huh. Also, I like the, uh, the the continuity. I think we've heard about the doctor's rheumatism before, like I think in the one with uh, uh, Kublai Khan. Weren't, weren't he in Kublai Khan? Yeah. Like, uh, commiserating over their... You know, aches and pains. Uh-huh, ailment buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. As Ian tends to the doctor, 
Lobos starts whispering to the guard and orders him to rush Ian, but Ian has faster reflexes than the guard, and the ray gun ends up pointed into the guard's chest. So the guard, you know, puts his hands up and backs away from Ian. Yeah, like what? And what was stopping Lobos from trying this? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I get that part of being a, a good manager is delegation, but uh-huh. uh, also, alas, uh, we, we, we've hit a bit of a hiccup with uh, guardianship. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, though, if the guard was acting like under orders from Lobos, maybe he didn't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. When you're ordered to, to place your love in jeopardy, ah, that can be. Such such compelling uh-huh. ship material there. And and Ian, you know, having to pull the ray gun on his love. Ah, uh, heartbreaking. The doctor reveals that apparently his brain seems to work better in the cold when his body is shut down. Oh, cool. He's a Discworld troll. Yeah. My brain was working with the speed of a mechanical computer. I was asking myself questions. And the answers were arriving with remarkable alacrity. Yes, yes. <laughs> well, uh, okay, Doc. Let's let's try not <laughs> to apply this solution too often. There. Uh huh. It's like I, I, I got to get myself some of this liquid nitrogen. <laughs> <laughs> and now that he's all fully de-iced, he tells Lobos that. He's lucky that the doctor has a conscience, basically, because otherwise he would put Lobos into the preparation machine. Dang. He and Ian start discussing their next steps as the museum commander and the two guards he took with him enter the building and start sneaking up behind Ian and the doctor. Cool. Exciting. Uh Uh-huh. They, you know, the the DM almost asks them to roll perception, but then he's like, no, I'll just look at your passive perceptions. Mm-hmm. And apparently the museum commander and his two guards are rolling pretty well on their stealth checks because they are unnoticed by Ian and the doctor. Oh, good for them. The doctor is explaining to Ian that... They shouldn't just assume that they've successfully changed the future by saving the Doctor, because surely Lobos would be delighted if he and Ian were both put into the preparation machine, like put back into it, basically. Mm -hmm. And just then, one of the museum commander's two guards sneaks up behind them and whacks Ian over the back of the head, knocking him unconscious... As Lobos says, Yes, Doctor, you are quite correct. And it would appear that I shall have my wish. Dang. Nice uh, nice villain line there, Lobos. I gotta yeah. give you credit for that one. Yeah, Lobos is actually a pretty good villain. Also, like, you know, if you're trying to prevent the future, but that future could come at any time and you're not quite sure, like, how the timelines um, match up, can you ever be sure that you've prevented it? It could always be further out. Yeah, that's a a valid question. Like, as long as there is a space museum, there's a possibility that you're going to get turned into an exhibit there. 
I guess you could like disintegrate one of your party members and be like, ha, 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 <laughs> getting them into an exhibit now. Uh, the rest of us or, are safe. Actually, come to think of it, we don't have to take any of this quite such <laughs> drastic measures. Like, what if we all just dye our hair and get outrageous haircuts <laughs> or, or tattoos, you know, because you, you can't change uh-huh. those. Everyone, everyone get a facial tattoo. Right. Yeah. Everyone's face was clearly visible in the museum exhibit and they didn't have tattoos. So I suppose they could have put a bunch of makeup on them. Oh, that's true. That's Just true. Slathered makeup to cover the tattoos. Survivors of London, the Daleks are the masters of Earth. Surrender now and you will live. Those wishing to surrender must leave a five-star review on iTunes and email the doctor's watcher at gmail.com or tweet at Dr. Watcher and obey orders received. Message ends. Barbara and Steve Jobs are still making their way through the museum, but they're near an exit. You know, they can see, like, the exit sign blinking up on the wall. Okay, cool. And Steve Jobs points out that there are going to be guards outside, but Barbara figures they'll probably have a better chance outside anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's out of the gas for one thing. Right, yeah. Of course, as they approach the exit door... The guard that is standing watch outside that door hears them coughing and stuff, so he draws his gun and prepares an attack. Dang. Barbara and Steve Jobs exit through the door and are immediately stopped by the guard. They both put their hands up and head over to the wall as instructed, but then Vicky and her Steve Jobs show up and... Vicky's Steve Jobs shoots the guard with a ray gun. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> problem solved, I guess. Uh huh. No, no warning. No, like, aha, the tables have turned. Just like, pew. Basically, yeah. I guess that uh, that does invite the question: What do these ray guns look like when you shoot them? It turns out that they are not a film negativizing gun like the Daleks guns. Uh, There's like a basically a bright flash of light at the barrel itself, and there's a cool sci-fi noise. (laughs) Is it a pew pew? It's a sort of a. Oh, I. um, It's also very cool. (laughs) Uh huh. Vicky explains to Barbara that they've got a real chance now if they can just find Ian and the Doctor. Because when the Steve Jobs revolution succeeds, the Steve Jobses are going to destroy the museum. Uh, Well, you did uh, perhaps unintentionally, perhaps (laughs) intentionally foreshadow that earlier, that you can prevent the future of yourself being in the museum by, you don't have to get rid of yourself, you can just get rid Mm -hmm. of the museum. Well, we can't be put in a museum that doesn't exist anymore, can we? (laughs) Exactly. So they start figuring out where to look for Ian and the Doctor. And meanwhile, as they're figuring this out, the museum commander and his guards show up and shoot both of the Steve Jobses and take Vicky's ray gun from her. 
<laughs> Everyone's a little uh, trigger happy in this one. I mean, I guess that that <laughs> one guard that that caught Barbara and and her Steve Jobs had them go up against the wall, right? And that didn't work yeah, out that's so good true. for him. So maybe that was like, okay, we're just <laughs> we're just going for it now. You, you've uh-huh. had your chance. We cut over to Lobos and the museum commander, who are now in Lobos's office just outside of the preparation room. Lobos has been trying to reach both the barracks and the armory on his phone, but he can't get a hold of either of them. He has been examining the gun that they took from Vicky, and like he knows that it came from the armory, but he doesn't know how she got a hold of it yet. Mm-hmm. I remember them discussing the danger of that. Mm-hmm. In the preparation room itself, the DM finishes describing the scene where all four of our PCs are being held captive. And as soon as the DM finishes the description, Ian's player is like, I try to open the door. And the DM's (laughs) like, dude, of course the fucking door is locked. I'm not an idiot. (laughs) But at the same time, like you have to try. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) They all continue their ongoing discussion about whether or not they've managed to change their futures and, you know, if their actions are having any effect or if they're just, you know, what's leading them to their fate of being in the museum or what. And Ian starts dismantling and smashing the preparation machine. Not a bad idea if you're uh, if you have access to it. <laughs> yeah, mean, all the rooms that could have been locked into the one, the room with the the one object that can prepare them for the future that they're trying to avoid is has uh, has opportunities there. Yeah, that it, it does make sense. And you know, Ian's a person of action, so he is. If they're gonna That's be true. locked up in a room with a machine, like he's he's gonna smash it. Mm-hmm. Doctor thinks that's kind of pointless though he's like dude i'm sure they've got another preparation machine somewhere oh well <laughs> you know yeah, the, you, don't, don't do that don't do the dm's work for them there doctor. <laughs> <laughs> you can uh always hold on to the hope what's that old adage about if you can afford one preparation machine you can afford two preparation machines uh, i think i think i've heard something like that <laughs> <laughs> vicky thinks that certainly they must have changed the future, but Barbara's not so sure. Must we, Vicky? Or were all the things that happened planned out for us? Hmm. Four separate journeys. Four choices. That led all the time closer to here. That's a really cool line. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, we split the party and look where it got us. Yeah, it's been split like multiple times in multiple ways, but mm-hmm. has ended up with all four of them being held prisoner in the preparation room. Mm-hmm. The doctor points out that not all hope is lost. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh huh. Only some of it. <laughs> they, you know, they have like met people and talked to them and influenced them and stuff, and. Vicky's like, That's what I was trying to say. Yes, I knew you were, child. Yes, yes, I knew you were. (laughs) Oh, the doctor. So, 
They don't necessarily need to have changed their own future, as Ian puts it. It could be changed for us. Quite so, yes. Quite so, my boy. Wow, you guys. Wow. <laughs> Outside the museum, a couple of guards are standing around looking at the bodies of the two Steve Jobses on the ground when they get shot by a whole group of Steve Jobses rushing the museum. One of these new Steve Jobses wakes up one of the Steve Jobses on the ground, which made me wonder if the ray gun is like a, a sleep ray or something. Oh, okay. Well, this is a kid's he, show, and, I, and we were talking about how you know bloodthirsty this episode has been. Uh-huh. So uh, they're they're just sleeping. It's okay. Yeah. Look, it's just catch up. <laughs> <laughs> the Steve Jobs on the ground like seemed fine after after the other one like shook him awake. Basically, mm-hmm. he tells him all about Vicky having found her friends, but then how they all got taken by the Morocks. So. Steve Jobs tells some of the Steve Jobses to stay here with Steve Jobs and the rest of the Steve Jobses to come with him, Steve Jobs. <laughs> uh, did you get all that, listener? <laughs> <laughs> In Lobos's office, he finally manages to get the armory on the phone and, of course, learns that it has been raided. <laughs> No wonder they're just uh, leaving me to go to voicemail every time. He like he tells the armory that he'll send some extra men from the barracks, but the person on the phone at the armory tells him that the barracks have been wiped out and basically everything is under attack. He could have been dictating. <laughs> <laughs> if he was dictating then he wouldn't write ah <laughs> lobos and the museum commander start getting ready to head to lobos's ship that he's apparently got standing by ready and waiting at the launching port excellent and the the museum commander wonders what to do with the aliens all this trouble started when they arrived kill them Oh yeah, that they're troublemakers. Yeah. Suppose, suppose it had to come to this. So the museum commander opens the door into the room where our heroes are being held in order for them to be killed basically. And the Steve Jobses all burst into the museum commander's office from outside. They've got great timing here. And yes, thrilling. Uh-huh. Lobos and the museum commander both get shot with ray guns and everyone celebrates. Oh, nice. We cut to a little bit later as the Steve Jobses are all dismantling the museum and the doctor shows Barbara and Ian a little spark plug looking thing that he's taken from inside the TARDIS. That's it. That's the little thing that's been giving us all this dimensional trouble. Hmm? Huh, okay. I, I, I guess that was the reason that they were out of phase originally when they first arrived. Yeah, he starts talking about how, like, sometimes when you flip a light switch, 
it takes a few moments before the light lights up. I guess this was a <laughs> common wait, occurrence. I can't wait to see where this is going. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess this was a common occurrence in like old light fixtures. I don't think it happens much in modern electricity, but I, I guess, guess it used to. Yeah, you still sometimes see like old fluorescent lamps or something that yeah. like, have to go like click, 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 clink, and then they're on. Or, you know, I don't have any like fancy Wi-Fi enabled lights in my house, but I could imagine that like if you use your fancy Wi-Fi light app to turn the light on, then like it might take a few moments for the signal to go over your Wi-Fi and get to the light and stuff. There you go, listeners. It's not that the lights are too old-fashioned. It's that they're too (laughs) high-tech. So apparently this was what happened to the TARDIS was similar. We uh, landed on a separate time track, wandered around a bit, and until this little thing clicked itself into place, we hadn't actually arrived. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I love love that uh, time travel works the same way as, like, flick flipping the light switch and waiting for the light to turn on. <laughs> uh-huh. Ian and Barbara thank him for this explanation, and they take the device back into the TARDIS for him while he goes to fetch Vicky. We cut over to Steve Jobs, who is telling Vicky that they only want to keep Xeron stuff here on Xeros, so most of what's in the museum is basically going to be like broken up and, you know, like broken down into its constituent parts and presumably recycled and trashed and whatever. And Vicky's like, can I keep the Dalek? <laughs> I'm going to keep it in my room. And like uh-huh. at night I'll sometimes take it out and leave it just uh, in random places through the TARDIS. So if the doctor has to get up in the middle of the night to go pee, then he'll suddenly see it in the hallways and <laughs> give himself a fright. Uh-huh. And she'll probably name it, like... Rusty. Yeah, that's a good name. That sounds like a good Vicky Dalek name. <laughs> the doctor reminds Steve Jobs not to lose sight of science altogether, but, you know, I think he's basically telling him, like, there's shit you can learn from this stuff in the museum, essentially. Mm-hmm. But before he can really get too far into this message, he gets interrupted by Barbara and Ian coming out of the TARDIS, asking him what the fuck is the big new thing in there. (laughs) Uh, It's rusty. (laughs) Ah, that, my boy, yes. Well, that I got from the Space Museum. (laughs) This young man here. Steve Jobs. He very kindly gave it to me as a souvenir. I, I'm going to go ahead and assume that wasn't an actual voice clip that you just played. <laughs> uh, apparently, this device that we haven't gotten to see yet, but Ian and Barbara have seen, is a time and space visualizer. Oh, nice. You know, I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it in the Space Museum. Hmm. And I have an idea. I can get it working again. Very cool. Are we going to get to see this ourselves? Uh, not quite yet. Okay. We, and he, we don't get to know what it does either. He won't tell them what it does. He just says yeah, that he, he did. Time and space visualizer. You visualize time and space. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought too. Isn't that, Apparently, isn't that self-explanatory? <laughs> yeah, they're not thinking it through, but because mm-hmm. they, they did ask him what it was for. He says <laughs> they'll see in two time. 
Okay, okay. Steve Jobs thanks them all again. Your party made our revolution a success. Here, here's your thousand gold, and uh, <laughs> your DM will tell you how much XP you got. Uh-huh. The Doctor and Vicky make their final goodbyes to the Steve Jobses, and they head into the TARDIS, which dematerializes. And just as we expect the words next episode to appear on the screen, they don't. Yeah, because we still have to see this uh, time and space visualizer. What we actually see is space, and we zoom in, and we basically zoom in on a planet, and then we cut to an interior shot of some computer equipment on the wall. There's, you know, lights and buttons and knobs and, like, squiggly lines on screens and... You know, all that sort of stuff. So much science. And as the camera pulls back from this computer science equipment on the wall, we see enter the frame from the right side, first a plunger, (gasps) and then the rest of the casing of a Dalek, which rolls over to the displays on the wall announcing that their greatest enemies have left Zeros and are once again in time and space. Oh, dang. An off-screen Dalek speaking through a speaker on the wall that, like, flashes as it speaks, says, They cannot escape! Our time machine will soon follow them! They will be exterminated! 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 Yay, they're saying it. (laughs) The words next episode, the executioners appear on screen. Hell yes. Man, we're getting two Dalek cereals in a single season. That's yeah. twice as many Dalek cereals as we got in the previous season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty cool and exciting of a cliff dangler. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like normally after a, or not normally, but sometimes after a cereal, we get very little to go on, like after the previous one. Right. Occasionally, we don't even get anything. It'll, like, stick with the NPCs and they'll talk about, you know, how wonderful it was to have these random strangers come visit them for a little bit and stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, here we're getting like a, a proper, a proper cliffdinger leading into the whole next serial. Uh huh. But before, you know, before we start talking about the next serial, uh, this was the final phase, which was the final episode of the serial. So Kyle, could you tell our listeners, would you recommend this serial? This one, I definitely do recommend watching. Excellent. I would say that if you listened to our podcast and you thought you might enjoy this serial, then you were probably right. You probably will enjoy it. (laughs) Excellent. 
It's a fun sci-fi story of, you know, trying to avoid a future that you've already glimpsed. It's kind of a sci-fi trope, but this is a, a great example of that trope. Uh-huh. I also always love stories of oppressed groups fighting against their oppressors. Yes. So, like, Vicky helping the Steve Jobses with the revolution was great. Very cool. I will say that you just have to not think too hard about the first episode and like <laughs> the whole explanation of being on a different time track and whatever. Uh, what do you mean? We got an explanation. <laughs> but yeah, if you if you can roll with that, then this serial is a whole lot of fun. And Excellent. it's only four episodes, so it's not too long. It's easily watchable in like one or two sittings. Yeah. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier, but I did watch the first episode of this serial, and I did quite enjoy it too. So, it's uh, it's a, this was a good one. This was a fun one to listen to as well, and I hope our listeners agree. Indeed. Um, and and we've got all sorts of uh, incentive to tune in to the next Doctor Who because not only do we have Daleks coming back, which in itself is obviously enough, like, come on, Daleks, but we also have the time and space visualizer, right. which we don't yet know what it does, unless we kind of do, but we also kind of <laughs> don't. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, regardless, it'll be fun to see it in action. So to find out what, what sort of uh, special effect it's going to have. I did read an interesting thing about this particular serial on the fandom wiki page oh which is that the original scripts by glenn jones were apparently much more humorous oh interesting but yeah dennis spooner cut most of the humor in his editing of the scripts Apparently, he felt that it was a high-concept science fiction story and that the humor was not appropriate for that. Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah, like, I, mean, I enjoyed... Doctor Who. <laughs> uh-huh. I enjoyed the serial, like, as it is. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, like, I'm a longtime fan of Red Dwarf and Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and stuff like that, so... You know, I I certainly don't mind mixing humor and sci-fi. Also, like, this is a kid's show. Like, how high concept are you going to get? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point as well. But okay. No, yeah, this was a fun one. And obviously, I love Daleks. I'm looking forward to the next one. Well, come back in two weeks, listeners, and find out about the Daleks and the Time and Space Visualizer. Yes. What was it called? The Executioner? The Executioners. The Executioners. Heck yes. All right. Well, see you then, listeners. Bye. Bye. Hi, Benny here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com slash circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23 at gmail.com. Thanks to Kyle for talking to me about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to me listening to Kyle talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com or on Twitter at Doctor Watcher. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. save yourself. You better bring him back to life. Impossible. But your only hope is to try. No one has ever attempted to reverse the process. There's a first time for everything. Now get moving. And remember, I shall be watching you very carefully. So don't try any tricks. There are no tricks in science. Only facts. How long is this going to take? How can I say? This has never been done before. Perhaps he never will recover.